Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the fantasies and fallacies of anything to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories, including Apple gets very vocal on self-driving cars, while the US Congress revs up the debate over the same issue. We have a chat with the new CEO of the Australian Road Research Board. Sounds like it could be a very academic organisation, but Michael Caltabiano has a clear vision of making it as helpful as possible to you and to me. We road test the Mercedes GLC, an SUV wagon, and also as a coupe. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Sweden is training midwives in how to give birth. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Sweden trains midwives in how to help mothers give birth to children in cars. The reason is that a local maternity ward has closed. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now to begin the program, let's have the news. Apple has written a letter to the US Highway Traffic Safety Administration declaring that it is excited about the potential for automated transportation and calling on regulators not to restrict testing of such vehicles. Apple took issue with certain exemptions for internal development testing. It also said that at least three ethical dimensions require attention. Implications of artificial decision-making on safety, mobility and legality, ensuring privacy and security in automated vehicle design, and the impact driverless vehicles will have on the public good, for example, employment. Meanwhile, a U.S. Democrat senator is partnering with a Republican senator to launch a joint effort to explore legislation that clears hurdles and advances innovation in self-driving vehicle technology. American Samoa has banned the import of vehicles that are older than 10 years in an attempt to increase the number of fuel-efficient vehicles bought into the country. By doing so, they also hope to reduce the costs associated with removing scrap metal and older cars that break down. The government also ordered that all government vehicle purchases be hybrid or electric vehicles unless a waiver is obtained. The local Chamber of Commerce says it hasn't received any complaints about the ban, but there has been some criticism that says that local people will not be able to afford newer vehicles. There is also a concern that modern vehicles are more technically complex and thus harder to repair. ETI is one of the largest safety barrier companies in Korea. They have just manufactured a new style of barrier for the side or middle of the road, that is made from a series of energy-dissipating rollers. The rollers are vertical and have a similar shape to the fenders that are placed between boats or the wharf. When a vehicle hits the roller, even at a near-perpendicular angle, the rollers redirect the car, turning what could be a powerful collision into a much less severe glancing blow. The one problem is that the vehicle speed is not greatly reduced and the vehicle can be redirected back into the stream of traffic. Oslo is offering residents up to $1,550 to buy electric cargo bikes. 
Citizens won't need to be on a low income to apply for the funds or even to promise to cut down on driving to qualify. With a total budget of only $780,000, the program can only bring about 500 to 1,000 electric cargo bikes onto Oslo's streets. Like many European cities, Oslo's air quality has been pretty poor so far this winter, leading the city to put a temporary driving ban on diesel fueled vehicles in order to help clear the atmosphere. Their local newspaper, the Dag Bleggett, described the project as the dumbest thing since scrambled eggs in a carton. The Dag Blaggett is a tabloid newspaper which, due to declining circulation, has reduced staff and focused on what they call simpler news. The New South Wales government has a special behavioural insights unit. Behavioural insight draws on behavioural sciences to help us understand how people act and make decisions in everyday life, ways that are often different from those assumed in standard economic models. This helps them design public services and policies in ways that work with the way that people actually behave and help people make better decisions for themselves and for society. For example, they recently trialled new forms of text messages to get people to attend their hospital appointments, projected to save just one hospital at least $66,000 per year. This could be applied in areas of transportation, such as encouraging active transport or safer driving. And that has been the news. Research can be a wonderful thing. It can be revealing, rewarding to the people who do it, and it can be helpful in what it has discovered. But to get the most out of it, and to keep the funds flowing in today's world, that requires leadership and management. The Australian Road Research Board, generally known as ARRB, was formed in 1960. It began operations out of an annex of the Country Roads Board, now Vic Roads, in Kew in Melbourne. In 1972, the staff moved to a specialist facility in Vermont South in the suburbs of Melbourne. Recently, they appointed a new CEO, Michael Caltabiano, whose background is that he studied and worked in engineering and moved on to politics, public administration and private company management. Most recently, he was the CEO of the Australian Asphalt Pavement Association. Michael has a very clear vision for the ARRB. We are honoured to be able to speak to him now. Michael, you prefer the full title, Australian Road Research Board, rather than just the acronym ARRB, don't you? I do indeed, David. It's, um, it's important when we're commencing a conversation that people know who we are and what we're about, and the Australian Road Research Board conveys that message. Wearing your heart on your sleeve? Uh, we are indeed. Um, we are absolutely focused on creating knowledge for tomorrow's transport challenges and in particular focused on solutions that are relevant today. And knowledge to as broad a group as possible but if I might reflect back on the Australian Asphalt Payment Association a group of sincere people with a passion for their own specialist area which is a good thing but in what way did you see that they needed to go further? Well the Australian Asphalt Payment Association has uh, traditionally been a very highly technical group focused on delivering some really good outcomes in the field. And 
when I commenced there three and a half years ago, they had lost their way in the technical space. And um, what I did for them was to bring back that really strong technical focus, working in partnership with road agencies and delivering some really significant world-first technology changes for the Australian market. For example, the introduction of EME, or very high-strength, high-modulus asphalt pavements, which add a significant benefit if you're building motorways you can save about a million and a half dollars a lane kilometre by introducing EME technology. So that's now bedded down. We have national standards and those pavements are now being specified across the country. So it was the most rapid implementation of a new technology anywhere in the world. Since then, they've moved on to changing the design principles for roads. So we currently have a mechanistic design principle for roads to change it to a perpetual pavement design. So pavements that never fail. And that would be great news to the community, um, wanting to know that their pavement lives are going to be extended and they're never going to have pavements that have to be dug up right down to the gravel bases and rebuilt again. Perpetual pavement designs for the future will ensure our motorways are running smoother, our urban arterials are running smoother for longer, less disruption. You talked about research not as an ivory tower but as working with others. Research is often thought of as a way of producing a eureka moment, a one-off discovery of the big thing that will change everything. But you need to have an understanding and to have ideas in the whole system over time. Can you tell us how you see a subject such as road safety, for example, and speeding in particular, in needing a systems approach? Most definitely. And the Australian Road Research Board is in the applied research space. So we engage in research activities that have a real and meaningful, tangible outcomes to the community. So the community is going to benefit from what we do. And in the road transport and and safety space, for example, we're really looking at how to implement safe systems across the country. So the community would, would see a safe system as a road that's got enough width of lanes to allow them to have a comfortable journey. That's got road barriers or wire, wire rope barriers on both sides of the road so that they can't crash their car and have a, an, an intersection with an, or an intervention with another vehicle that's at 90 degrees. They're all actions that are of a lower angle so that we don't have deaths on our road network. So safe systems is a concept that we are embedding now in all new road design and we're working with road agencies across the country to incorporate the principles of safe systems into everything that they do. It's a marvellous change that will deliver the next step change in the road safety outcomes. Road safety also means embracing where the user is coming from, not just giving them a stern lecture on what we think. We may, for example, approach young people with simulators or even gamification, creating games whereby they learn the important lessons of life. Is that a reflection of looking at where the customer is coming from? Is that important? It's absolutely critical. I mean, we are totally focused on ensuring that the community is part of this journey. In fact, we at Arb, we um, about 18 months ago, instigated a new branch of what we do called Human Factors, and we have Dr. Michael Regan, who is um, an eminent expert in the field leading our human factors team, which is how people behave and respond to infrastructure, how they behave and respond to the stimuli, how do we deal with the driver distraction issue, which is a human factors issue. So that whole field of endeavour is understanding our community, understanding the drivers in our community, 
and really looking at the problem from the way it should be looked at, which is how do we enable the community to have a, an adaptable, connected future. Michael, that is absolutely wonderful. I found that very visionary, very practical and very empowering. And I appreciate greatly your time. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, David. We, we are determined to act in the national interest as the Australian Road Research Board. We, we genuinely love what we do. And our staff here are motivated by doing great things. And we look forward to doing that for the Australian community in the future. And that was Michael Caltabiano, who is the CEO of the Australian Road Research Board. He took up that position towards the end of 2016. And I think he will be moving quickly and positively into the future. You're listening to Overdrive. Many SUVs are getting so that they ride and handle like a passenger car, but they can but can they look like a passenger wagon or even a sporty sedan? Now Mercedes have released their new version of the GLC medium size SUV, which also comes in a coupe version. Now the basic SUV has some looks of a grown-up station wagon rather than a boxy SUV. But it is the coupe with its fastback rear design that really tries to be sporty in looks, not just in performance. It's not alone in the market. BMW has the X3 in standard SUV form and the swooping tail of the X4 coupe SUV. Now, Matt and I have had a drive of both the sedan and the coupe for the Mercedes GLC. Let's give him a ring and see what he thinks about the vehicles. Hey, David. How are you doing? Good. You've been swooning around the suburbs in the Mercedes, a medium-sized SUV. Did you feel stylish or cumbersome? Uh, I certainly think the outside is a, it's a stylish vehicle. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, like the look of it. Not the fastback, the the, uh, the standard version. Is that the right way you'd call it? Or would you the call wagon. The fastback version. The wagon. Yeah. I think the wagon, it, it's got some really nice aggressive looks to it. Uh, and, and various features like sort of the the side rails and things that just make it uh, quite a nice looking car, and uh, I think that turns some heads. I'm not at all a fan of the fastback. Aren't you? No, I think it just looks like you're trying to do two things at once, and neither of them particularly well. Yeah, it's trying to move in the direction of looking like a car. It, when we sorry sorry when I was young. You had a sedan, and then you just put the slopey bit on the back and called it a fastback. That has transitioned, I think, into the hatchback. But uh, that was the way of trying to look like a very sporty car. But I think in some ways it looked a little bit contrived. It looked like you'd join the dots on the back in a swooping way, but without necessarily being elegant. Seems like just a, a way to get noticed, do something a little bit different. Uh, as opposed to any sort of practicality. I took a few pictures of the Mercedes GLC besides some other SUVs on the school run, for example, and well, I think we've come a long way. Certainly from the front, it looks lower, wider, much less boxy, and so it looks more sedan-like. But uh, from the back, it's an acquired taste. I, I actually prefer it to the BMW. I think the BMW from the front looks a bit... 
like it's trying to get the common BMW look, which I don't think is particularly stylish or elegant. Uh, I've got to say it's not as good a looker as the Jaguar F-Pace we had the other day. No, I think that's a fair comment. Um, what, what do you think of the interior? Uh, now, the interior... Well, well, the first thing is it's a bit hard to get used to driving, isn't it, with uh, being typically Mercedes in its sort of approach. But it is tries to be very modern in the interior. I, feel, I, I thought gaudy was a better word. <laughs> it has bright sort of metal fascia things about it. It's certainly not your old-style wood panelling by any means that you might have got from a 1960s Jaguar, but it's... I think a few friends of yours found it a bit strong as well, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think most people were impressed from the outside and then got in that this seemed like it was trying too hard. It's probably the best way to describe it. Very functional. You liked the traditional Mercedes seat controls, electric seat controls on the doors, just near your right hand, just near where you would have the lever to open the door. I think it's a very practical side of me just uh, having it there and having it shaped like the seat uh, removes any confusion um, as opposed to this various buttons that you have to test to try and figure out what they mean i think it's a really nice uh, nice way to actually execute that the glc wagon the base model wagon it's recommended retail price is about sixty six thousand dollars get it on the road say in new south wales about seventy two thousand three fifty or so the driver aid price for the slightly better diesel engine is about seventy seven and a half thousand and the top of the range forty three is listed at a hundred and eleven thousand three fifty drive away to get it on the road but you pay on the road about twelve grand more for the coupe but the coupe does have the amg package the main things is twenty inch wheel Feels a little bit more sexy sorts of stuff, plus a certain uh, variable suspension, but not much more than that. That is a lot to pay for a, a different shape. It's marketing in its best, isn't it? Uh, the ability to be able to charge something for, for not a lot of difference. In my opinion, you actually lose because uh, you're, you're losing that practical space. Matt, lovely to talk to you, mate. Uh, good to catch up. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. You're listening to Overdrive. And uh, again, we have this week two of uh, our great friends, Errol Smith and Brian Smith. Gentlemen, once again, to talk quirky news, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Hello, David. Now, we have a story from China. It's a proliferation of different types of car parking spaces. We've all seen there's disabled spaces, there's there's short-term and long-term parking, there's spaces for families with children and strollers, and uh, even for seniors in some car parks. Well, in China, they've uh, introduced um, in the city of Xi'an um, a special type of, um, of parking space that's uh, indicative of the kind of traffic congestion that they get on their roads. It's a toilet break space. And they're marked in yellow uh, on the main roads, um, and they're very close to 50 of the city's public toilets. And they're designated as a special toilet use space. I think you do have to leave the car to use the toilet. It's not intended for you to uh, go to the toilet in your car or at the side of the road, I hope. Uh, And they have a 15-minute time limit, so that's great. I mean, that gives you a lot of options, doesn't it, for for the type of toilet break that uh, that you want to have. But you can be fined, I think, if you... Use the space, but don't go to the toilet. And uh, and I think here is where you might be certainly wanting the uh, toilet attendant to validate your ticket. 
<laughs> will, will they have meters on them? Because that will add a whole new meaning to spending a penny. All I'm worried about, hey, you have to certainly uh, prove that you uh, that you went to the toilet or needed yeah, to. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Just uh, I didn't flush, so check for yourself. Smell <laughs> my hands. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, do you get fined if you do or don't wash your hands? So, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I was a bit concerned about the 15 minutes. I mean, what if you've had a bad curry? Well, I know. And, and what what about for shorter trips? I mean, seriously, turnover is the crucial thing in car parking, isn't it, David? So, so you know, you would want um, certainly. You know, you might have a longer space for someone who suffers from shyness. Uh, you might want, you know, a, like a two-minute space for, for someone who's just got to spend a penny. Right. You know, that sort of thing. Mm. What, yes. If you've got <laughs> prostate problems, you might want to give someone a bit longer time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and apparently the, the queue for the, the, the women's toilet parking spot is much longer than the queue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what if you've got four people in the car and they're all women? Well, they might need to have gendered toilet break spaces oh, okay. this, yeah this would be, and then you know perhaps two cars arrive at once yeah okay. if they've got multiple people can you extend your 15 minutes i mean i mean if someone That's puts a good chalk point. if you've got a yeah a large a bus. with six people or seven people I, in it i think if he if he puts chalk on the tire i think i've got a, a way of, of washing that off that uh, <laughs> kill, kill two birds with one stone <laughs> Only if you've got men in the car, <laughs> or, ve- or needs, very, uh, very brave women. Yeah, it's very, very, it's a very talented sign, though, doesn't it? Too. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Brian, you suggested that perhaps they might have different lanes. Oh, for for short term versus long term. Well, no, a, a number one lane and a number two oh, lane. Oh, number two lane yeah. certainly yes. to, to slide into them. That's a good idea. Yes, yeah, so it brings a new meaning to T two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Brian, I think you have a, a second story for us. Certainly, Danny, uh, certainly David. Uh, Soleftia municipality in, um, in Sweden uh, is suffering from the closure of its um, uh, maternity ward uh, in its town. And uh, so the response from the, uh, the, the town has been to start training midwives in car births. Um, now, I'm not sure if it's a sort of uh, throwing a bit of shade at the council for for shutting down or the government for shutting down the maternity ward, but they're now offering training for midwives and expectant parents on how to deliver a baby in a car. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there could be a car accident or the car could break down. Uh, you've got to be ready. The worst that could happen, even if it's very, very uncommon. So, um Basically, uh, it's a town of about 20,000 people, um, and uh, this um, maternity shutdown was a cost-cutting measure. I just wonder, um, you know, if it's the wisest thing to do to, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, put people at risk in having to learn how to give birth to children in ideal situations. What's the specific needs of giving birth in a car? Mm, I guess there's um, certainly nowhere to boil the water. You have to heat it with the cigarette lighter. Uh, yeah, and uh, you either carry sheets with you, or perhaps you, you know, you might tear up the the seat covers. So you, you know, it could be a few preparation things you need to do. What if it's a sports car? <laughs> well, it that's what the upholstered upol- upol- rear partial so- partial shelf is for, David. <laughs> I, I took, I thought they took a very glass half empty attitude though, because they they say you know <laughs> the car could break down, you could drive off the road, you have to be ready. The worst could happen. Wonderful experience you're about to have. This joyful, yes. this joyful moment. Is there something, is it ironic, that if that's where the child was conceived? Oh, yes. It's a delightful irony, isn't it? Hmm. You get sort of circle of life thing there, really, isn't it? <laughs> You've got to save the car then for your funeral, I suppose. Hold the child up <laughs> on the bonnet. 
<laughs> Errol, you have a story for us. In Canada, they've they've taken the whole pop up shop phenomenon that's all the rage at the moment, and they've sort of put a uh, put a motoring twist on it by having a, a pop up shop at in the from the back of the car. They've got a, uh, a station wagon there with a pop up shop, but um, it's it's all in a for a good cause. It's uh, all about a charity that uh, that wants to sort of highlight homelessness in the area. So you uh, you go to the pop up shop and you. You buy a woolly hat, um, known as a toque, uh, in Canada, and um, and that, and the uh, the line is it prevent a family from living in their car tomorrow. And this is a real problem, isn't it? In in many cities, I know in New Zealand, in Auckland in particular, they you know they are one of the the, uh, the, the sort of issues with um, difficulty in affording homes in, in in finding affordable homes is that people end up families living in cars. So it's very apt that they use a car to promote mm. this. I don't know how this works in winter, but um, the car is uh, painted completely white, including the windows and and tyres and wheels, just to make it sort of stand out. Because they're they're sort of trying to make the statement that uh, that people get used to these things around them and then ignore them. So they're trying to make something stand out. I wonder if this is going to make a change in car design in the future, that we might have to start thinking about building more cars that people are going to end up sleeping in, given the world population going the way it is. I bring back the station wagon. The panel van. Panel van. I once uh, pulled up at a a, a roadside McDonald's or something, cafe sort of thing, and uh, a lady was sort of fidgeting with her car in the front and trying to get it to work or what have you. And I said to my mate, oh, her car's broken down. He said, no, no, she's just pretending. If you look, the the windows have got towels on them. Uh, She was (laughs) She was pretty well staying, you know, living in the car. Living there and making it look like she's just, when people come along, she's looking like, oh, I'm just about to move off. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, indeed. Now, um, who are we up to? Brian, I think it's your turn. Me again, David, and this is the annual No Trousers on the Tube Day. I'm not sure why this hasn't caught on here in Australia, but but every year in London, uh, a series of pranksters, and in New York City, actually, uh, a series of pranksters stage an annual No Trousers on the Tube Day. Um, it's uh, it's now just a celebration of silliness. I don't think there's any, uh, uh, like, fundraising or anything like that, but on um, a particular day each year, something like nine or 10,000 people around the world um, go to work on the tube or the train without pants on. It's been running for eight years in the UK. And, uh, yeah, so um, unfortunately this year when they uh, planned it, they planned it... Uh, uh, at the same time as there was a 24-hour tube strike. So uh, you had to sort of <laughs> the not moral, write. The moral majority. That's right. Could have been one of those things that Fred Nile's prayers were answered. And so it's, it was no trousers not on the tube day, I guess. <laughs> Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you once again for your time. You're no worries, David. David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Michael Caltabiano, David Campbell, Matt Brown, Errol Smith, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.